This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Yes, it is the Subway to Shea podcast. Anthony Rivera here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets, episode 130 live on YouTube, live on Twitter, X, whatever you're calling it these days. Quickly, I want to shout out to Mets play-by-play broadcaster Keith Rad, who joined me on the episode last week. It was great to get his insight as we head into spring training and just take a look at, you know, what he does does to prepare as a broadcaster i've always been a you know this audio radio nerd and have loved that type of media for so long which is you know why i do this podcast today uh, so make sure you follow keith on x at keith rad and on instagram at broadcast bites because this season you know follows all his foodie travels around the league also shout out to mike silva host of the talking mets podcast he invited me last week to do the first ever and hopefully not last a talking mets movie night we went back in time to 19 1988 for opening day where Daryl Strawberry hit an absolute moonshot uh, on the Mets path to victory. It was a lot of fun watching the TV broadcast, which we got off of YouTube of all things. So it was fun doing that. I'll put that episode link in the description of this podcast for you to check out today. This week's show pitchers and catchers have reported. Actually, the whole entire team has reported and are set for their full squad workout. And joining me now to recap what has been going on in Mets camp uh, is Jeffrey Bel- Jeffrey is the co-founder of Mets Fix, a comprehensive Mets news and analysis newsletter, which you you need to subscribe to. Uh, I'm one of the ones that are subscribing to that newsletter. A lot of great insight, and I really enjoy everything that comes out from there. Jeffrey, it has been a while. Last time it was all audio for us. Now it's all visual. (laughs) But welcome back to the Subway to Shape podcast. How you doing, my friend? Yeah, good. No, thanks for having me. You know, as we talk about the Mets and go into 2024, we have to go back a little bit because finally putting the finishing touches on what was probably one of the worst seasons in Mets history with payroll and just how everything played out. And former Mets general manager Billy Epler, you know, he's been suspended and put on the ineligible list through the 2024 World Series. Uh, he was suspended for what is uh, the improper use of the injured list. A lot of GMs do do this, but you know maybe this sets a precedent now and we know that it's quite possible that a Mets employee was this whistleblower that provided information to Major League Baseball. We know that Epler, you know, liked... And, and you mentioned this in your newsletter, optionality when it came to his players, especially last season with the bullpen. What do you make of this whole entire situation with Epler and the suspension? Yeah, I think this is one where I'm with everyone else, right? Like it's clear that they're using Epler as an example. Um, it didn't even seem like they're, you know, if you're going to use them as an example, I guess what I was surprised about is they didn't release, like even if it was through a reporter, like what was like, an egregious example of what he did. I mean, maybe, you know, you, you wanted to protect the player who was also part of it, but, you know, I think everyone was guessing Tommy Hunter and then Tommy Hunter's in the New York Post defending Epler. Um, you know, I think Nito had like an eye injury that sounded a bit phantom, but then it's it came out like that's a condition like he's been dealing with, like dry eye. You know, you, you see that, you're like, that seems like a strange, you know, reason to go on IL. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just weird because normally if the GM of the team gets suspended for an entire season the following year, right? And obviously, you know, who knows what would have happened under Stearns if he would have actually stayed or not. But usually that means you did something like pretty serious, like the Mets like cheated, you know, like something really crazy happened. The fact that it's the entire year and it's basically something that everyone's like, eh, whatever. Um, 
I think that's the oddest part, that the length of the punishment relative to other things that we've seen happen throughout baseball that have not gotten even this long of a suspension. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Tommy Hunter. You mentioned Tomas Nito. I think also Luis Guillorme was having a couple issues. We saw like a couple of cryptic tweets from, I guess, his dad on, on Twitter about, you know, how his use was coming back from injury. So we really don't know who this person is. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's going to stay anonymous for as long as as they can hold that in. And, and the Mets have have kind of been you know even with you know when it comes to signing players they have since steve cohen has taken over the team it's mostly been you know close to the vest everything has been you know held in check unlike when we were in under the will ponds everything got out to the media so uh i don't know if this person will ever come out or the name will ever come out all i know is that epler is is going to be out for the year uh thankfully the mets did not get reprimanded in any yeah. part of this so that that's probably the biggest takeaway when you talk about the future of the new york mets and and to you know end with this because this is kind of tied to it uh Probably about a couple of days before that, Buck Showalter went on foul territory and made some comments that were, you know, interesting. He, he kind of wished that they stayed the course because he thought they would have you know, made the postseason if they would have kept all their players. Obviously, we know they traded Verlander, Scherzer. Everyone kind of got traded. They brought in this new uh, crop from the minors, and, you know, we'll we'll see how they eventually turn out. Uh, an interesting thing he did talk about was he could not really get with the, the load management. And uh, the example that they used was Brandon Nimmo, resting him after having a huge game and, you know, running around the bases and then they wanted to, you know, kind of give him the day off. Daniel Vogelback also as well, at DH was an issue. We didn't know if it was Buck Showalter that wanted to keep him in, Epler that wanted to keep him in, and, and that became some sort you know, of a problem. Do you think that Buck Showalter gets too much of the blame for last season? Should he still you know, be manager right now? I, I'm one that I think a, a manager is a bit overrated in terms of how much... Uh, you know, I, I think it, it's obviously important the manager's role in terms of keeping the clubhouse together, and he is clearly well-liked, but but I think with the way that modern front offices run teams and, and, and uh, Showalter alluded to this on that that podcast with the load management and, you know, with the analytics, um, it's no longer, you know, just his decision, you know, maybe Showalter because he's old fashioned, he gets a little more leeway than say Carlos Mendoza could this season. But since we know that it's a partnership and we know these decisions are made, not just by the manager, it's hard to either give him full credit when they won 101 games or give him full blame when it went the other way the following year. So um, I, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is because I I don't see it as being such a big impact. I feel like it's great for like sports talk about the manager, but I don't think that now the Mets are doomed because they have, you know, Carlos Mendoza instead of Showalter, you know, or they didn't get Craig Council. I mean, that that's the, the great example that I think will be interesting to follow is yeah. when you look at the Cubs, you look at the Mets, you know, let's say you had to bet a million dollars on who wins more games over the next three years. And then I said, you can only get three pieces of information before you make that bet. How would, would you pick, tell me who the manager is as one of those three pieces of information or would you want to know tell me their lineup tell me the rotation tell me the top prospects coming up so i just think that a manager is kind of so far down the list now in terms of priority that it's not something i get too caught up on even though it becomes such a big topic i think especially in new york because you deal with the media a lot and that's a big part of the role and maybe that's the biggest part of the role now again it's not saying they don't have any impact but it's just i think how they work with the front office is most important and it's hard for us as fans to truly know that since we don't see the day-to-day -day of that relationship it does seem from the comments that buck made that maybe there were some issues that he didn't get along with uh with epler and with the analytics team um i wanted to bring him back but i do understand and i have said this from the beginning when you get a new regime and a new team in here like David Stearns has, I, I do like a fresh, clean slate to allow him to pick who he wants to come in here, whether they had gotten uh, Craig Council or not. You know, he does have a new manager that will now fall under, you know, him and, you know, work with that analytics team. And hopefully Carlos Mendoza uh, does a very good job. And speaking of Carlos Mendoza and David Stearns, we move now to we let that part of the past go. We move on to the fresh new 2024. New York Mets and uh, not much came from Carlos Mendoza's you know initial press conference
conference at the start of spring training, some of the questions that were asked to me felt like very unnecessary, asking him if he has the same desire as the fans do in New York. I, you know, what is he supposed to say? So there, there were a lot of right, simple right. questions that were out there, but the Stearns press conference had a lot of good nuggets that came out of there. Um, he mentioned not ruling out acquiring more players as the team does intend to stick with you know, Brett Beatty, Mark Bientos for, you know, third base DH to start the season. And, and you know, hearing that and seeing all the things that he said for, you know, this entire offseason, I don't think they will add a top line DH. There's only really one left in J.D. Martinez. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it will clog the lineup from other players being evaluated. And I'm saying this is because this is what David Stearns has pretty much said throughout yep. the entire offseason. So I think Mark Bientos will get that first shot. We, we've seen guys like Jorge Soler, he's going to the Giants. Uh, Gio Urshela was mentioned, but he's not really a DH. He profiles more as that, you know, third baseman. And again, if you're going to go with Beatty or Vientos, you you don't really want to, you know, throw Urshela in there unless he's going to come off the bench. But they, you know, they got Joey Wendell. Um, they even have Jose Iglesias, who they got to a minor league deal, who could probably come up. The Mets did sign G-Man Choi and are probably working on a deal with Luke Voigt, uh, both on minor league deals. So uh, we could see them at some point if. Vientos and DJ Stewart don't work out. I still think that Starling Marte will eventually be the best option to head to DH role, uh, especially if Drew Gilbert lights it up in AAA. Now, I know, I think it was earlier on in the day that Starling Marte met with the press and really wants to play the field and, and be out there in right field. We'll see what happens. But, you know, after seeing him in winter ball, uh, David Stearns says Marte looks uh, fully healthy. So, you know, with all of these in-house names that I've mentioned what do you like to start or who do you like to start as DH uh, when we get to the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Stearns has made it pretty clear, right? He wants to give rope to the young players, which is why he didn't, you know, they weren't going to go out and sign a J.D. Martinez unless the price just became, you know, overwhelmingly cheap that, you know, they they just had no choice. And then with the signings of uh, Voight and Choi this weekend, he's basically saying, look, I, I know we have, you know, DJ Stewart's not a kid, but someone who doesn't have a ton of, you know, major league success and then Vientos from the left and right side. So let's get two veterans, right, from the left and right side that to make sure essentially that it doesn't become a disaster, right? Like if, if so, either there's an injury or it becomes clear quickly that, you know, remember with DJ Stewart, he basically had one hot month, right? He had a hot August. Yeah. And now, you know, you're kind of banking on like, okay, this guy can be your left side of a platoon. I mean, you know, it's very, it's very easy that he does not turn into like, you know, a, a full piece for you, which is why people obviously are screaming for replacement. But I think that's why with the choice signing in particular, the thought is, okay, yeah, if Stewart proves he's not what we saw for August last year, we at least have a veteran who, you know, it was really injuries last year that hurt Choi. But before that, all the guy has done is got, you know, dr- draws walks and provides some pop. He, he obviously doesn't give you a speed, right? And he's not going to do much else. Um, but I think that's what those signing signal is. Yes, we're giving rope to the young kids or the inexperienced or unproven guys but you know we're going to have some fallback options and what will be interesting is how those fullback options stick around because as veterans to minor league deals they're going to have opportunities to leave and go somewhere else if they don't get a spot on the active roster and you know it's one thing to say well right now in triple a you know they actually need a first baseman at triple a so one of them could play first base there but if both of them are there you know now it's kind of impacting their opportunity to shine i don't know if they would want to stick around there forever so i do think that there will be sort of this point where early in the year where you know the Mets are going to have to decide are we going to I guess what I'm saying is I don't think you're going to get a lot of rope with say a DJ Stewart especially Mm -hmm. if Choi is hitting down in Syracuse if that's where he ends out starting Um, and I think that's good because you know I I think what Mets fans were most frustrated with last year is just sticking with guys too long I think they're going to cycle through these guys they're going to give them some opportunity but I think that at least with these signings they're showing they're not going to just you know live and die 
buy on those intern, you know, on the options they originally had. I know I was not too upset with the deal that DJ Stewart got to, you know, come back to the Mets. I just didn't want him being that main DH option mm -hmm. based off of, like you said, those two weeks that he had. Because if you look, even after those two weeks, he was kind of back to the DJ Stewart we had from the yep. beginning of the season. So I was concerned with with that whole situation. But we'll see what happens with him and Mark Vientos and the whole uh, splitting of the DH. It just it hasn't worked out for the Mets since the DH was implemented into the league. Yep. And I, I hope that they don't fall down that rabbit hole again. But I do understand bringing in a guy like J.D. Martinez clogs up what they're trying to do when it comes to evaluating a guy like Mark Vientos, who needs the at-bats right now. We need to see what we got in Mark Vientos. We need to see what we're going to be getting in Brett Beatty. And if they don't, you know, turn the corner... Uh, and start producing it's going to be probably you know their last chance at at main being a mainstay uh, yeah. on this Mets roster and as we move into Pete Alonso uh, Stearns said he is most certain that the uh, the Mets and Pete Alonso will not get a contract extension before he hits free agency. Uh, he to quote him himself: uh, "When you have a really talented player who is really good, who is entering his final year of club control, who happens to be represented by Scott Boris, these things generally end up into free agency." And that's what he told uh, the reporters at Mets camp. We and, and that they understand that. Uh, you know, call me crazy, but I I still feel in my gut that Pete Alonso is going to get some extension before the year begins. I don't know. I, I'm just like hoping for it. I, <laughs> it could happen. It might not happen. But uh, Pete. When he came to camp and addressed the media, uh, he said he's opening to listening. And most importantly to me, he will even listen during the season, not putting a hard deadline, kind of like what Francisco Lindor did uh, before they signed him. What was it? Maybe 24 hours before opening yeah. day began. So I I'm happy to hear that from Pete Alonzo, that he's giving the Mets that opportunity to you know reach out to him, to listen to the offers. And I, I really do hope something uh, gets done there. Now, I want to go back in December, you created a payroll uh, kind of primer um, yep. with a look into 2025 and even 2026. And I'm going to bring that up here. Um, if you're having a hard time, if you're watching this and having a hard time seeing it, just make sure you go full screen so you can see all the numbers here. And, and you said in your takeaways for 2025 that you think it will still be difficult for the Mets to, you know, reset their tax penalties, you know, if we assume that they will eventually extend Pete Alonso, adding, you know, 30 million to the books would leave the Mets with only uh, 24 million in, in breathing room uh, before the initial tax threshold. Yep. What do you think is the right deal, not only for Pete Alonso, but for the Mets to fit into the 2025 season? Um, yeah, well, first, just a couple of things. Since this uh, payroll I, I did before they made a couple more signings, so the current year, they're actually up to 322 now is where I'm projecting. I'm just to give people the full picture. So, it, it, you know, it's this ironic. This in December, right? Right. So it's like, it's it's ironic yep. that, you know, all the talk is what the Mets haven't spent, right? And this is key to the Alonzo question. But with all of that, all of the dead money right there with, you see it with Verlander, you see it with yep. Scherzer, even, even with McCann, um, all that dead money really this year was about and why you saw them signing for the most part only one year deals because they knew there were going to be way up against it this year and then everything basically clears next year where if you only include the players on guaranteed contract they actually do have a lot of space i think they only have it's like 140 million around there in guaranteed contracts but then you know you have guys due for arbitration you got guys on split contracts you have some of the other accounting there and that's where that number comes down a key piece and we saw in the news this week about verlander whether he's a little bit behind schedule if he pitches 140 innings mm -hmm. uh the Mets would be on the hook for half of his contract he triggers for 2025. So all this is to just kind of recap to say they're going to have breathing room next winter without a doubt. Whether Verlander's you know option gets exercised or not, you're going to have breathing room. But if you are signing Alonzo, and this is why I think it's a complicated decision in the front office mind, if you're signing him to a number that is, I'll say, out 
outlandish to how other first basemen are paid, uh, Freddie Freeman, right, or uh, Matt Olson, and you're getting into, you know, 30 million AAV. Well, suddenly you're cutting into that space a lot. And we know because all the players we just talked about who are o- only on one-year deals, which is almost the whole rotation, you you have a lot of shopping you still have to do, which, yeah, that makes it where you're probably not going to reset the luxury tax next year if you go down that path. And especially who knows if they go after a Juan Soto, a Corbin Burns or whoever it is. Um, but I guess to me with Alonso, it comes down to how much do the Mets value that he is a homegrown star, right? If they believe that is important and with Steve Cohen being the owner, there should be really no reason why you can't pay him outside of kind of quote the market value, right? You can you can pay him whatever you want, right? As long as he's comfortable paying luxury taxes, you could do that. But, but what I wonder is, especially with Stearns now in charge, is maybe they're not thinking that way. Maybe they're thinking, we're fine paying for big contracts. We'll give out the biggest contracts in baseball, but we rather it be for a Juan Soto than a Pete Alonso. And we're not going to pay added attention that he's a homegrown star. We're going to just look at it. Who is a player that plays a unique position that's young, that we're signing them, you know, when most of their career is ahead of them. And that's where if you're a big Alonzo fan, I would be a little concerned that, you know, that could be to me the the strategy that they decide to take and why we don't see much movement right now in Alonzo, because they just they just do not want to get in this position where they're paying him 30 million when they can maybe get Soto for 42 million and one is you know in his mid-20s and one's entering 30 one plays you know a premium defensive position and one does not I think the concern for me comes with you know as great as Juan Soto is and can be the fact that replacing Pete Alonso with Juan Soto really doesn't change the dynamic of the lineup you're just now replacing the power which you know even with Pete Alonso the Mets need a another bat out there yeah. and that's why there was the talk of JD Martinez coming in or or Soler. You know, if you're just replacing uh Soto with Alonzo, I don't really know, you know, how that dynamically changes the team and and, and the fact that now you're you're still going to have to look into some of these kids to, you know, show up and then Drew Gilbert being, you know, the guy and, and then the Jet Williams and all these kids coming up, you know, unless there are some other guys out there that they can get who, you know, hit, I guess, you know, 20 to 30 home runs a year um, in somewhat the production. But I was always looking at it in the terms of, you know, the Mets would resign Pete Alonso and then get someone to protect him in, in, in the order because I, I always felt that that what was really neat. Mm-hmm. I mean, he Pete Alonso for as long as he's been here has really not had any protection uh, in this lineup. So I, I am concerned when it comes to that. You know, when they they said today or it was in the news that the Mets would go after both Soto and Alonso at the same mm-hmm. time. I don't even know how that works with the money. Like how you explained, I, I don't know how this ends up. I I hope it ends up with you know Pete resigning. Obviously, it, you know the homegrown Met that that yep. always plays into right. my mind and it, it plays into. A lot of fans' minds. Uh, you have that's my sports even saying it. Ed Crane Pool, David Wright are the only lifelong Mets, just signed Pete Alonso already. Um, yeah. I, I think also what happens is now, you know, Pete Alonso may not be the best first baseman uh out there, right? You know, Freddie yeah. Freeman is uh, ahead of him, and and um Matt Olson to a lot of people. Uh, is, is ahead of Pete Alonso. But when you go into this free agency and, and you look at the free agents that are power hitters, uh, you look at what position they play, Pete Alonso is going to get a lot of money no matter what. That that yep. gets to be factored into that. So what happens with Pete Alonso? I hope he I hope he resigns. I don't know where it goes with Soto. If you had to do the choice, I guess, how do you, you think it's going to be one or the other? Um, and, and which one are, are you choosing? Are you going Soto or are you going yep. Alonso? Yeah. So, you know, I think you look at what the Dodgers have done, right? And we know the Mets are kind of fawn after, you know, uh, that as a model. And, you know, they have let homegrown popular players walk, whether it's Cody Bellinger, that was kind of a different situation because he was struggling. But, you know, Corey Seager, you know, he was, you know, a star shortstop from them. They let him go to Texas. And then now this offseason, everyone is complaining how the Dodgers are, you know, the team ruining baseball because they spent over a billion dollars on all these guys. But the, the theme that they've had is when they spend big, they spend big on guys who are universally considered 
the best at their positions. That's how they approach it. So I think that that's how the Mets want to operate. They want to say, we have the ability to pay anyone we want, but we're going to get the absolute best guys. So I I honestly think that it, depending on what Alonzo is asking for, if maybe he asked for like some extra years to bring that AAV down. Um, but if he's asking with Boris for some, you know, like let's, let's reset the first base market because now, you know, GMs have cooled to spending big, what they used to spend on first baseman back in like Prince Fielder type of days. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to have this record setting contract. I, I just think that that is tough. That's going to be tough to justify if, in fact, you feel confident you can sign a Soto or a Kurt Corbin Burns, right? As we saw this offseason, the Mets can make the biggest offer. That does not mean you're going to get the, the yeah. player. So it, I guess to answer your question is if I'm reading the tea leaves and I feel confident that I could, in fact, sign a Juan Soto and a Corbin Burns. And then, you know, the the feeling was there's not the appetite to also sign Alonso because that would be a lot at once. I would I would pick those two, um, even though, you know, it, it hurts to do that. I just think you can't think with heart when you're when you're, you know, a, a front office exec. You got it. You're getting a guy when he's 24 years old or I guess what he'd be turning 25 by next year versus yeah. a guy turning 30. Um, just that alone, you know, on a long term deal that that's five extra years of value you're getting. So, you know, I, I hate to say it like it kind of hurts me to say it. but um, I feel like that's to me, I think that's that's where they're going. They, they want to be that team that says we're going to spend big, but we're not going to just pay anyone and everyone. And I guess I shouldn't say it that way because Alonzo's not anyone and everyone. But the point is, uh, if they feel they can get the Soto or a Burns or someone like that, I think they're going to prioritize them. Well, with the Mets doing this right now, allowing him to hit free agency, uh, we're in a similar situation as the Yankees were with Aaron Judge. And the hope is that this last season, you know, you want Pete Alonso to take off because yeah. if he's taking off, he's only helping the Mets play better. The only thing that happens with that is now the price tag goes even exactly. higher. Uh, so it, it's a positive uh, a a negative in some sort of ways. But at the end of the day, what you said earlier is probably what's most important. When the Mets missed out on Yamamoto, um, it wasn't because they didn't offer enough money. They did. The Mets weren't in a great situation that Yamamoto wanted to be a part of. Mm -hmm. They weren't a winning organization. And, you know, as much money the Mets can throw out to Pete and they can throw out to Soto, if this team doesn't turn a corner this season and plays well and are out of it by the trade deadline, line they're gonna have a hard time next free agency no matter how great the free agent class is the team has to play well and show signs of improvement if they are gonna acquire some of these top free agents yeah no and and i think this is where this season i know you know mets fans aren't as excited because they haven't made the big splashes but i think it's why this season is so important because to have a quiet off season and to sign some of these guys like you know, uh, Severino or, you know, to go after these guys that kind of improve it deals. If to me, it, it's actually works more in their favor if they can now have a really good year proving they picked the right guys, proving that they brought in guys like Shamanea, who maybe they helped him find the right, you know, perfect his pitch mix, showing if you come to the Mets, we're going to actually get the best out of you, similar to like a, a Dodgers team. I think that helps that point versus if they had continued to keep spending and then still kind of were mediocre, then to your point, yeah, if you're a free agent, it's not as attractive. You need to prove that beyond just money, you can be a team that knows how to develop players, knows how to get the best of them. Because then when you're a player looking, where do I want to go? You say, okay, I'm going to go here because they're going to optimize my performance um, to to the point you're saying. So I, I think that's why this year is very important. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, hopefully we see that. Once again, I'm here with Jeffrey Ballone, co-founder of Mets Fix. Make sure you're subscribing to the Mets Fix newsletter. And you can see some of the great breakdowns and analysis, including what we're going to be talking about right now. And that's the uh, early 25-man roster projection. Now, you had another, you know, you had the roster overview that I'm going to pull up here um, for everyone A to good see. Eye test. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Yeah, So that's why I said make sure you put this full screen so you guys can see this very well. Um, Stearns talked about uh, competition. 
addition this uh, offseason and that there will be, you know, two spots in the Mets bullpen, possibly uh, the DH spot, which we had talked about, a platoon role and a bench spot this spring. We already know uh, Ronnie Mauricio is on the 60-day IL. They uh, just signed uh, uh, Shintaro Fujinami. He's officially signed and, and he has a minor league option. Ben Gamble, the outfielder, was signed as well. And we talked about G-Man Choi. We talked about uh, Luke Voigt getting some minor league deals. You know, we can go over who is set who's on the fringe and, you know, who we will find out, you know, who will fill out this bullpen and the bench. And, you know, obviously, you know, Nemo, Marte, Pete, McNeil, Lindor, uh, Joey Wendell, Beatty, uh, Francisco Alvarez, and Narvaez. These are guys that are all probably set into the, you know, roster. Most, you know, obviously Pete is going to be set and some of the other guys, but, you know, DJ Stewart, Mark Vientos, you got the rotation that's pretty much set at if they stay healthy uh, throughout spring. Senga, Quintana, Severino, Manaya, and Hauser. And when you get to the bullpen, Diaz, Adovino, uh, Rayleigh, Drew Smith, Diekman, Jorge Lopez, Phil Bickford. And then it gets a, a, a little dicey with, you know, who could possibly be in that bullpen. What are your, you know, early, early roster projections of, of what you could see based on, you know, obviously talent, but also, you know, optionability and being able to be outrighted. What are your thoughts on what this roster uh, can can do? Yeah, I think as you said, for the most part, we know what the 20, the active roster is going to look like, right? Um, this spring is an exciting spring if you are someone who in the middle of February, right, is, is watching this live stream because you can't get enough baseball. The people who are into the deep roster moves because I think where the action will happen this spring is on who fills out the bottom of the 40-man roster. Because the Mets have so many players who lack options. And just as a quick, you know, explainer, if you are a player, uh, when the season starts, you know, you set your roster, 26-man active roster. Then whoever didn't make that, that's on a 40-man roster, has to be optioned to the minors. But because the Mets have several players on their current 40-man roster who are out of options, meaning the only way they can be they can go to the minors is if they pass through waivers and then they're removed from the 40-man roster and they go on what's called outright assignment. Because of that, you have the opportunity for several of these non-roster invitees. So the people, if you're looking at the, the graphic that are kind of at the bottom of each positional list, you have the opportunity for those those players to actually crack the 40-man roster just by the fact that they can be optioned to the, the minors. So someone like a Zach Short, right, he has no minor league option. So either there's an injury during the spring, hopefully not, and then he's making the active roster instead of, say, like a Joey Wendell, or he's going to have to go through waivers again, which means he could be claimed, or he's off the 40-man roster, so now you're replacing his spot. So I, I think what it does is it makes for a spring where there's guys who normally probably wouldn't have cracked the 40-man roster on a, on a normal roster composition have a chance to do that and that just gives them a little more opportunity just because of the flexibility they give to you know get a call up obviously injuries happen that changes everything and then this issue of you know there's too many guys and not enough options um could fix itself but based on the current health that's where i think you'll see the you know some more of the battles and you know that's really the last couple bullpen spots and then who, who gets injured and i guess now to me, it's really about DJ Stewart. I think it's clear, like we already talked about. Vientos yeah. is, I mean, I think even if he has a bad spring, he's he's starting the season. Um, but I think Stewart is the one guy, he has an option. The Mets could set the, you know, if Choi comes in and is just unbelievable and Stewart is not, I think that's the one spot that maybe for a while you thought was a lock that might not be a lock. Um, but otherwise, I think, like I said, it's the last couple of bullpen spots and, and that's it for the active run. It's interesting to see with this roster, uh, if, if you would go back to the last day of the season and as we got into November, to think that we would only be looking at a bench spot, two bullpen spots and a DH spot, um, it, they're not flashy names. Right there, right. he did not make flashy moves, David Stearns, this offseason. Not, not you know, when he was bringing in these players. But you look back at the end of the season and how we only had two fifths of a rotation left over and had to replace three guys. And the fact that he was able to bring in three, I, I think, what I think could be really good star uh, starters. You know, we looked at Verlander and Scherzer and we hoped for the best. 
but we knew father time was coming injuries were coming and um you know it, it ended up not working out even when we had jacob de couldn't stay fully healthy and be a part of a full rotation um you hope that these guys can stay healthy but you know getting louis severino who i actually kind of wanted uh, during the beginning of the offseason i i wanted him to be that you know third or fourth guy in the rotation i thought the deal was uh, decent enough and then you bring in manaya and you bring in hauser during the trade i think for you know what it's worth and how we're only looking at a few positions i i think david stearns you know peripherally did a good mm-hmm. job in putting this, this roster together. Yeah, no, I think so. And, and the flexibility, right? I mean, I think as much as, you know, fans got on, you know, the Vogel backs or, you know, back with, with Darren Ruff and everything about their lack of production at the plate. To me, what was always most frustrating was just how they lacked versatility on the roster, right? So yep. you just, you, you were stuck playing them at a certain, you know, in that one role, in that one role only, and they weren't going to pin run they weren't gonna you know fill out up an extra position i think with stearns we've seen and he's this is the other theme at offseason besides giving runway to the young players is run prevention and that's not just with pitching it's with defense and in fact he brings in a harrison bader you know tyrone taylor on the bench joey wendell etc these are guys that can play different you know, positions and can help move guys around. And I think um, that also adds to to your point of, you know, A, yeah, we're not looking, there's not a bunch of holes left to fill, but also there's guys that can kind of play in different roles and then even in the rotation right there's depth there where you know if a if a shamanaya doesn't work out as a starter you know he he had more success you know i think as a reliever in terms of the way he could uh, adapt his uh, approach well you know maybe you play around with that if you have to because you have some starting depth right so um so i agree i I think he did as well as you could given that he wasn't going to give anyone a multi-year deal or um, spend a lot of money. Yeah, I like that we finally have some versatility uh, in the lineup. Uh, you can even go back to the end of the 2022 season when um, they had, you know, obviously they had a, um, a Daniel Vogelback who did not play a position on the roster uh, going into the playoffs. And then they also had, uh, was it not, not Mackenzie Gore? Uh, it was Terrence Gore who was um, only yeah, in there right. to run. That's right. Right, Terrence Gore yeah. who's only in there yep. to run. And then those are two spots now that you're taking up with guys that can only only be used in certain spots and, and it just yep. didn't it, it didn't work out and I, I feel like they didn't address that as well last year and we saw with how the team played that it, it just you know it, it was something that needed to be done and I think Stearns has done a, a you know an admirable job and we'll see how it works out uh, as we get into um, 2024 now you know, before we kind of wrap up the show we got to get into the the new Nike uh <laughs> fanatics jerseys i don't know yeah. if he, i i think we talked about this off air and yeah. you've seen them I'm, I'm gonna bring them up because uh i think this was uh genie metz who posted the two pictures together back to back but you could see the difference from 2023 to 2024 um i originally thought this was all nike but i, I assume that with their partnership with fanatics that um you can see a lot has changed. They moved the uh, MLB emblem below uh, the collar. The 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 lettering is what probably bothers me the most, uh, yep. being that you know it's kind of you know curved a little more and is a lot smaller. Um, and uh, I think even a good shot of this as well is uh, the Mariners jerseys as well. You had the uh, Gilbert and Kirby ones. It's it just looks like a replica jersey that I would have bought as a kid <laughs> when yeah. I was when I was a lot younger. Not to say that I'm going out and getting you know the expensive authentic jerseys, but now these these jerseys that you know fans were you know buying where there was the majestic or stuff they're kind of the same price now for these little it looks like a a cheaper version but um nike it says that they're going to sell three different versions of it's the nike vapor premier jerseys uh one is limited which is uh inspired by the on-field jersey then there's the game jersey which is the replica player jersey and an elite jersey which is the authentic jersey that's worn on field and there will be only uh only the limited jerseys is currently available right now um nike decided like we said to lower the mlb logo on the back reduce the size of the player name lettering um and like i said the the numbering you know looks a little weird to me i know the players uh manfred had mentioned you know people will start getting used to it and the players like 
you know, the fabric. That's the, that was the whole thing. It was how to right. make players feel comfortable. Uh, there was a lot of talk of them not feeling comfortable with the pants because they used to like to customize the pants and they can't do that with these. Um, so as you can see, these jerseys, they're they're very interesting. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of them. Um, I do like what we had in the past. And when I, I always get a player's Jersey of someone that is a, you know, somewhat of a legend on the team. And, you know, I've had, you know, got my Piazza ones. I got David Wright, uh, strawberry and, and all the guys from the 86 teams that I, that I have eventually picked up. So I don't really get any of the new players and until it's like, you know, hall of fame time and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, what were your thoughts on, on this new look that we've, yeah. we've been, uh, bestowed upon us? Yeah. I mean, it, to me, it, it, it's universe. I mean, it's almost hard, especially nowadays, right? Like we don't agree on anything <laughs> in, yeah. in society and everyone hates these uniforms because you look at them. I mean, you know, you think back just to being a kid and, you know, you like you say, you get a replica jersey. If, if you somehow like even if you're in a store and you saw the authentic jersey that actually added to like the the appeal or the like the aura of, of being a professional baseball player is you're like, oh, these jerseys are so nice, like the yeah. stitching and like just to wear an authentic jersey, just putting it on meant something because you were like, it's just better than anything else I'd wear. So the fact that they've taken that away, um, you know, like I think the joke is George Costanza is the one that, you know, went out in, in the room in terms of making these uniforms. Yeah. But I mean, the le- I just don't understand the, the name. Like, you know, if it was one thing, if like, you know, this was happening at a time where you're trying to like, maybe you put like the American flag instead of MLB logo and the name's smaller and it's supposed to be symbolic that like, you know, it's not about the name. It's, you know, we're all playing you know together it's america's sport or something but like it just makes no sense why you would shrink the name like i I just don't i just don't get the logic of that and then the price i mean the some reason i've never understood this why baseball jerseys the authentic ones are the most expensive i can get an authentic you know rangers jersey or devil's jersey or whatever and it's like you know what 279 i think is around what they're going for now which is ridiculous as it is right but that's like a full like legit sweater and then a button up baseball jersey i think the new one that they're selling for nike is going for 395 like that is ridiculous and especially when it looks like that the only thing i was excited about is if you've ever bought the replica version of a jersey they never have the number on the front of the jersey they only have in the back and from what i've seen this that middle range one you talked about that they're offering will actually finally have the number on the front so you you can get that without getting the authentic jersey which is nice because that's always something that's bothered me that you could never get that before but then that's the other thing that they messed up is where the buttons come down it now cuts different so rather than it like cutting nicely in between the letters for a lot of teams uh it's cutting like through a letter and i can't i can't remember if they've confirmed with the mets how it's cutting through the e but i know with certain teams like the cardinals it, it was cutting weird so it, it was just a, a miss all around i know the players union i guess spoke up about it yeah. I, I think what they would i think it's you know, the pants can't be customized, like you said. So maybe that's something they fix. It's not something we see as fans, but it, there, there's no way people are going to be flocking to buy these jerseys. And there doesn't seem to be, and I don't know if the authentic one is different, like what they play, what they wear on the field. But what we saw this week in spring training, it, it doesn't look like it's the authentic stitching that you would right. get. It looks like those, you know, what is it like the ironed on patch um, <laughs> that you would get it Heat if pressed, you would go yeah. to to get it done at at the game and get your jersey personalized. The lettering is, it, I think, is what bothers me the most. Uh, I mean, like yeah. you, you remember uh, Jared Saltillamacchia? Like now, how would they yeah. put his name <laughs> on the back of the jersey? Right. Just the way how arched it is. It just, I, I, I don't know. It, it looks. It's going to take a while to get used to. I don't know if they're going to change it or not or what's going to happen. But yeah, the pricing, you know, for an authentic jersey, I know there was a sale last year. Um, and I think I bought maybe about four or five jerseys for the price of one of those authentic jerseys. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but it was like it was their uh, like the 86 spring training jerseys didn't have the oh, na- yeah. name on the bag. Yeah. It just had 17 and, and 16 uh, of those. But it, if you want like the authentic Mets, Jersey, you know, you got to go to Mitchell and Ness. Those are the guys that that seem to have that 
locked down and and yep. you know the prices seem to be some somewhat reasonable we'll, we'll see what happens you know maybe we'll get used to it maybe not maybe they'll change it around but man manfred seems to to think that the fans are going to love this and you know they haven't been in love with a lot of the things that that rob manfred has has given to us as of lately uh carlos ortiz he doesn't like the new uniforms he says they suck and uh junior swing man saying getting a knockoff jersey is a better option and it might be for some i i do like the fact that they're putting the number on the front i always thought that as a kid i'm like man why aren't the numbers in on the front yeah. of the jerseys you yeah. know and, yeah no that's that's nice but no the knockoff that that's who makes out in all this is now yeah. the, the people that make those knockoff jerseys they're gonna be they're gonna be nicer <laughs> so like you might as well get that and it'll be cheaper yeah yeah absolutely uh, you know the thing I, I had posted as well is, you know, what if they decided, you know, just, just take out the name, right? Like the Mets did that, you know, they did that in the early sixties and, yep. and, you know, in the sixties and the seventies, then they started putting the names on the back. Um, and then they, in and they 99, those white, yeah, yeah, those white ones, right? Yeah. Were those ones without the name they wore. Yep. Yeah. In 99, they did that a, a, as well. Um, a lot of fans don't seem to like it without the name. It, it's interesting too, that, you know, that new black Jersey that's coming out, that's mm-hmm. replacing the one with the the white you know uh outlining yeah um it's gonna be really hard to see the names on the back of that jersey yeah uh, originally and and now right. with how small the names are gonna be that's gonna be a lot harder but uh we'll see how the mets uh pull it off and uh, junior swing man he likes it he likes to know the, the the known name uh on the back I, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing that come back but every time i you know i post that someone's like oh but they're gonna steal from the yankees yankees that's it yeah if, if they were All right. in the same time as the yankees right i think that's that's what always bothers mets fans with that right yeah it, anything it was severino bothered it uh bringing in Buck <laughs> showalter anything that's linked to the to the yankees that drives Mets fans nuts um there is another jersey that the mets will be debuting the city connect uniforms that'll be on april 26 at city field against the cardinals uh the mets are among 10 teams that have not yet released the city connect uniform and i think they're going to release them a week before before yeah and, and what um, what's the betting odds in apple is going to be on that uniform in some capacity. Oh, I feel it, like that. Yeah. I feel like because you know the the big apple, right? Obviously, but like because the city connect, you got to have some thing to it. But the fact that that also is the other sort of de facto symbol of, of the Mets, mm-hmm. I feel like that's the path they're going to go. But we'll see. Yeah. Um. The the one concern that I had was I saw. I don't know if you saw it, but there was a league Philly jersey uh, for City oh, Connect, it. and it's it's blue and yellow, like no Philly colors the philly okay. is it, written in a weird type of like ghost yep. font and uh i was like oh boy i am very nervous to see what the mets yep. come up with when it comes to these city connect jerseys for sure yeah no i'm well, i'm literally picturing like the bottom half of the jersey is like an apple and then it's gonna be like this i'm pick i'm i'm picturing it's gonna i'm just assuming it's gonna be bad <laughs> i mean <laughs> you see the NBA ones right like it's uh the Knicks one the the bothers me with the like you know the new york that's like kind of got like the uh what's the right word the for double it? lettering looks, is it the yeah yeah like away? it's kind of like blurred or whatever yeah um, yeah that one like i feel like you're supposed to wear like 3d glasses to see this like um and i'm not you know i feel like i'm just when he's like you know the, the old guy complaining about like oh just stick to the color but it's like no just don't make it obnoxious it's it's not that hard of a criteria well yeah and the mets have you know the mets in the past have failed on putting some of these you know things together we saw in 2009 when they went to city field and their patch looked like it was from dominoes and you yeah. know the yankees had this nice pristine patch that represented you know yankee stadium and it, it just you know it, it tends to just bother the mets i, I think uh what is it giants mets beaver put that hospital patch uh going back to last yeah. year that there was a lot of complaints about that they had to shrink one they had to shrink it and two they had to make it mets colored so yeah. you know they're like the simplest <laughs> things that like they shouldn't be messing up that that tends to um you know be a problem uh carl Sotti says if the photos i've seen are the ones they're using they're worse than the new uniforms okay i have not seen any photos yeah, yet on this yet so no. um I, I only hope we can only hope that we are getting something and, and you know what can can we just stay with the mets colors let's not get crazy with with other colors and I, I understood the boston one even though i didn't like the colors i understood yeah, right. it meant the, the boston 
Boston Marathon and all yeah. that stuff. I got that. Um, there's been some decent City Connect jerseys. Like I like the the Chicago White Sox and the the uh, Anaheim Angels or Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Uh, I like the, those jerseys. I think there's been some good ones, but th- there's been some ones that have struck out. That that's for definitely sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no, that's it. Uh, Jeff, I I can't thank you enough uh, for uh, joining me today and uh, being on this podcast. Let everyone know what you're working on and you know how they can reach you on social media. Yeah, sure. So just my name at at Jeffrey Blum, but really just look for at Mets Fix um, or Google Mets Fix, and that's how you can find the newsletter. I put uh, we put one out uh, every weekday and you know some some weekend days, but definitely Monday through Friday every morning, and you get it right to your inbox. And it's kind of nice, especially nowadays if you're trying to stay away from you know X Twitter or whatever, and you still want to keep up with all the stuff that's happening. It's a real nice way that each morning you'll get that email and it will tell you everything that happened, but we'll also kind of give you some deep analysis like we've previewed here. Um, so again, that's that's at Mets Fix. And uh, yeah, no, really enjoyed enjoyed uh, coming on and um, excited. You know, this offseason, I feel like it's just been a, a tough one because, you know, let, let's face it, since, Cohen, since we even knew Cohen was going to become owner to, you know, these first years, it's sort of changed how we've looked at off seasons as Mets fans. Um, and then this one, it's almost like we went back in time a little bit back to, you know, how we used to feel where, you know, yeah, they went hard after Yamamoto, but I think we felt like they weren't going to get them. Um, so, you know, it, it's sort of like finding the personality of this team right now. Um, so I'm excited this year because I, I I do think with Stearns, they're in good hands. And um, I think we'll have a lot of good things to talk about. Let's be honest. The Mets have never really had a set plan on putting a team together maybe in 2005 2006 when Omar Minaya you know kind of you know put that team together with the signing of free agents of uh of uh Pedro Martinez and Beltran and then bringing in the year later Laduca Wagner and um and Delgado but yep. you know it finally feels like there's a plan in place we may not all like it but you know have we ever been through a time where you know the Mets were going to evaluate the kids and give them their opportunity to play i don't think i've seen it i, yeah. I well, don't no, think i've and, seen it at all right and i think the thing that is not talked about enough because everyone's so distracted by the payroll is so it's all about our mets fans disappointed they're not spending more what is really happening here to me is it shows a lot of mets fans do not feel confident about the current group maybe outside of alvarez don't feel as confident about this current group of kids you know because otherwise yeah like you said like what you know Beatty, Vientos, I know we, we they had really tough starts, right? There's reason to be pessimistic. Mm-hmm. But like you said, we haven't seen this. And usually that creates excitement when a team invests in young top prospects. But I think it just says that last year soured so many people on them that it also took away from the excitement that otherwise you would have for the first time. And, you know, maybe all of us being Mets fans where you have this high number of not pitching, but positional prospects. Beatty and Vientos don't even have 300 at bats yet in their career. Right. So yeah. let, let, let's leave that little, you know, tea leave out there. But um, uh, Jeff, it, it, listen, Mets fans, if you're tired of hearing, you know, <laughs> the, you know, rumors, innuendos and all that stuff that goes on in the media and, and, you know, Mets radio and all that stuff, you want the information, you want the analytics, you want, you know, all of the good stuff that comes from, you know, this Mets talk, you, you got to sign up for Mets Fix. And, and, you know, sign up for the newsletter. You'll get a lot of great info and analysis when it comes to this team. Numbers, breakdown, everything. It has all, it, we just talked about contracts and, and into 2025 and 2026. So um, definitely uh, check it out. Mets Fix. Uh, Jeff, I can't thank you enough. Like I said, uh, let's do this again sometime, man. Yeah, absolutely. Really enjoyed it. Thanks. All right. Uh, thanks so much, Jess. That was Jeffrey Ballone, co-founder of Mets Fix. Subscribe to the newsletter. Uh, like I said, you won't regret it at all. And uh, that's that's going to wrap up Subway to Shea this week. You can follow on X, Instagram, and TikTok at Subway to Shea. Listen to Subway Shea podcasts on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or do like you're doing right now. You're watching on YouTube. Hit that subscribe, follow button, turn on your notifications, and never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Please rate the show, leave comments, and if you're on YouTube, give a thumbs up. Uh, it really helps uh, my content get out there and noticed uh, for all to see. I would really, really uh, appreciate that and uh, with that said, thank you all for tuning in and helping my podcast grow each and every week. This podcast is yours as much as it is mine. And you continue to be a major part of the success of the Subway to Shea 
Shake brand. Uh, I appreciate every one of you. And for Anthony Rivera, this is the Subway to Shape podcast. And always remember, let's go Mets. Let's go Mets.